What's up, coaches? We are really excited that the paperwork is officially in, and we can finally announce that we are now sponsored by Amazon's audiobook website, Audible. Audible has worked with us and is giving our listeners one month of their subscription site and an audiobook of your choice absolutely free of charge. All you have to do is go to rtpbook.com and sign up for Audible. They will give you an audiobook and a free month subscription upon sign up, and every month after you get one audiobook credit for $14.95 a month. However, you can cancel at any time in the first month and still get to keep the audiobook as a gift from them. Audible has top-selling audiobooks that are great for coaches, like Bill Walsh's The Score Takes Care of Itself, Urban Meyer's Above the Line, Alex Kirby's The Big Book of Belichick, Tony Dungy's Uncommon, and many other big-name titles. Me and Walls are both getting signed up for Audible, and we'll keep you guys updated on the books we're listening to. Again, go to rtpbook.com to get your free audiobook and a month subscription that you can cancel at any time. That's rtpbook.com. We now have two designs available at our RTP store, uh, available as t-shirts, long sleeves, and hoodies. Our newest design is a cardboard sign that has Will Block for Food and Sharpie lettering inspired by my days in Houston. Check out our store under the store tab at runthepower.com. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Team Attack Academy. Team Attack Academy is an online football development site for football players and coaches of all levels. It's the most powerful teaching tool introduced into the game today to raise the level of playing and coaching football. After using Team Attack Academy, your athletes and coaches will outplay, outwork, and outsmart their opponents, guaranteed. Go check them out at teamattackacademy.com. In this episode of RTP, we talk with Nick Bunting. Nick Bunting is a defensive coordinator at Holland Hall High School in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Coach Bunting played at Holland Hall before becoming a four-year starter at the University of Tulsa at linebacker. Nick started as a true freshman, earning freshman All-American honors, setting the tone for a standout career under Todd Graham and Keith Patterson. Coach Bunning began his coaching career at Bartlesville under Ron Smith. He moved to Jinx in 2012 as a linebacker's coach where he won a state championship working for Alan Trimble and Keith Riggs before moving to his current job as D.C. for Holland Hall since the 2013 season. Coach Bunt talks about his multiple 3-4 defense, his use of hybrid players to tailor his defense to fit his best 11 players, and his experiences working and learning from an unbelievable network of coaches to hone his philosophy and ability to build relationships with athletes and push them to their maximum ability. Coach Bunt also runs Five Star Football Academy to train defensive players, especially linebackers, on the nuances and fundamentals of the position. You can follow Coach Bunt on Twitter, at Coach Bunt, and at Five Star FB Academy. Hope you guys enjoy. All right, man. So we're on with uh, Nick Bunning. Uh, I, I got to know Nick because we worked together at Jenks for a year. Uh, in 2012, uh, he was a linebackers coach there, and we actually ended up winning a, a state title together. So it was a, a pretty fun year, but a little bit of background on him. He, he played his high school ball at Holland Hall, which is a school in uh, the Tulsa area. Uh, he also played his college ball at Tulsa. And then you were a four-year starter, is that right, Coach Bunt? Yeah, that's correct. That's correct, four-year starter. And I believe as a, as a true freshman, you know, right in as a true freshman, didn't redshirt, uh, and you were a freshman All-American, ended up starting 49 games there, uh, made a bunch of tackles. I didn't know I couldn't find it anywhere, but are you the, the all-time leading tackler at Tulsa? But you got to be pretty close, I would imagine. 
No, I'm top 10, but I like to tell people I got gypped out of a bunch of tackles because we just had such a good defense. Um, Nelson Coleman's actually the leading tackler. I played with him. And then uh, Chris Chamberlain's pretty high on the list. He, he's above me. He'll probably like to brag about that, too. Another good linebacker. Uh, so I was fortunate to play on several really good defenses. In two years, we were the top defense in Conference USA and had a top 25 defense in 2006 and, or, or 2005 and 2006. Well, that's kind of a, a good lead-in because, you know, honestly, I mean, you played with a ton of really good players and, and also pretty cool. You know, I, I've had the opportunity to coach with a lot of those guys too, so a lot of those guys went on to be, you know, good coaches like yourself. Uh, not to mention, I mean, the list of guys that you played underneath. I mean, you look at guys like, you know, Todd Graham, Matt Wells, Bill Blankenship. Uh, was Norvell there too, Mike? Yeah, Norvell. Norvell was a GA at the time, and then whenever I started uh... – helping out as a student assistant and a defensive assistant coach. Uh, Norvell got elevated to being the wide receivers coach. And that was kind of when Malzahn split off from that tree. And he tried to take Norvell with him, and Todd wanted to hold on to him. So Norvell actually stayed away – or not stayed away. He stayed at Tulsa when Malzahn left, and Todd kind of was hoping Norvell turned out like Malzahn. And as you can tell, you know, Norvell's having a good career. He's made some good moves. And – He's sitting pretty right now in Memphis. So, so I mean, that that's to me, it's just phenomenal. I mean, you look at that right there, that's what, five, six guys, if you count Malzahn, that all went on to be head coaches. So, I mean, you got yeah. to learn a, a lot of really, really good ball. Can you talk about, you know, some of the things you were maybe able to pull from some of those coaches? Because I know a lot of our listeners, I mean, those are a lot of guys that a lot of them follow, you know, and you have connections to all those dudes. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, when I was getting recruited by University of Tulsa, Matt Wells was leading the charge. Um, then Keith Patterson came in on that towards the end. And actually, Bo Graham, who's Todd's son, who was coached in college for a while. I don't think he's coaching anymore. But uh, all those guys came in and started recruiting me. They will say heavily, but it probably wasn't heavily because I was just a you know, six-foot-something, 200-pound white kid from Tulsa. Uh, but – yeah, Todd Todd was probably the first person that I had been around who could sell you anything. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm not lying. It, he didn't have to be a college football coach to be a millionaire. The guy could have sold water. He could have sold uh, – he could have sold rice. It, 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 I'm telling you, the guy <laughs> was phenomenal at selling a vision and getting you to buy in. And the first time I met him, I actually had to go up there and meet him in his office. He invited my dad myself to come up there and meet him because he didn't believe that I was six foot which I'm six one actually but he didn't believe I was six foot because somebody around the local area didn't like didn't like that I probably put it on him in the game and they said I was 5'10 so I had to go meet Todd and uh if, if you know Todd Todd likes to talk about Todd which I didn't mind it at the time and uh he he, he got me going he got me ready to he got me believing in what they were doing um I'd actually was at a team camp at Tulsa before my senior year and Keith Burns was still the head coach there and he was looking at me a little bit but I, I honestly I mean I was I was ready to go the walk-on route at OSU or something like that that's where my brother went to school um, and I just didn't like kind of the culture that TU had and when Craigbert came in he brought Todd in and I just I mean from the moment my first moment speaking with Todd he had me sold so you, know, you got Todd, and then Keith Patterson was uh, my linebacker coach. He actually ended up being the defensive coordinator my senior year. 
Um, phenomenal coach. Uh, first coach that in college for me that I really built a close relationship with where I talked to him more than just, you know, about football, talked to him about life, and I still keep up with him often. Uh, Matt Wells, same way. I mean, I still talk to him a lot. You know, I, I probably don't I don't call Todd and talk to Todd on the phone, but we interact through social media sometimes, send each other messages. And, uh, and these are all guys that I still keep up with. And, you know, I still feel like they care about me now. I, I did have a pretty good career there. And uh, I like to say that I tell my players, you know, if you produce, uh, we probably have a little bit better of a relationship than the guys that didn't produce. Um, but, yeah, you got Todd, you got Keith, you got Matt, um, you know, Malzon, Norvell. Uh, Herb Hand was there. Uh, yep. He's a phenomenal coach. Spencer Leftwich was a phenomenal coach, in my opinion. Um, and there's a there's a ton of other guys. But to see, you know, they were ready to throw the University of Tulsa in the garbage as far as a football program before 2003. Um, they had won two games in the previous two years. Um, and we took them to their first bowl game since 91, my freshman year. Uh, like you said, I started every game from being on campus. And, you know, it was, it was awesome to see the turnaround and, and the kind of uh, – not really – I, mean, I don't know what the pro proper word is, but the, the culture came back and the fan base really supported us. And, I mean, this is coming from – they beat a game. They, they won – I don't even remember who they played in 2001, and they were tearing the goalposts down because that was the only game they won all year. So, <laughs> to help rebuild and uh, kind of establish TU – back as a legitimate force was a blast and then I'm, I'm telling you it started with Todd Graham and uh Steve Crackdorp and it was a phenomenal time and I really don't think that we've seen it since the 2005-2006 time as far as you know total support I tell people all the time we used to have you know 30 35,000 people at the games and you know now you go even you know a couple of years ago when they were winning 10 games there'd be 15 20,000 at most so it was a good time for Tulsa football, and I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to play on that team and play with a bunch of great guys and great coaches. What have been some of the other perks you've had from that? You know, because I know you GA'd with guys like Spav and uh, and TC who went to Clemson, and you'd said a couple of things that maybe you learned from from those guys. And obviously, I'm guessing you probably have some connections for film and things like that. You know, can you talk a little bit about some of those perks it, it helps to have with those networks? Yeah, I mean it's it's pretty much any place that any of those coaches were at um, and SPAD, I'll go ahead and throw SPAD and TC and those guys in there as well, guys that I GA'd with. Um, you know, they're always open arms to come and visit wherever they're at, which is a blast. I always have fun doing that. I've been to Arizona State and then you know, I've been to University of Texas and now that Herb's down there, I might try to go down there a little bit more often, um, but you know, they got one of the great defensive minds in my opinion in college football and Todd Orlando mm -hmm. and I love watching the way his defenses play so you know just being able to say you know I have somewhat of a relationship with some of these guys and I have a very good relationship with others um, they always say open arms man anytime you want to come down come down full access whatever you need and you're not getting a, a censored version of it you're getting the real version of it that's the kind of football I like to be around is you know, guys that aren't pretending to be somebody else. I like guys to be them, um, whether you're a just a kind of go-with-the-flow kind of guy or you're uh, super intense and you drop F-bombs every three seconds. Just be you. And, uh, you know, I feel like players, they feed off that. So if you're yourself, uh, you're going to get good results. And I'm fortunate enough to know a lot of those guys. And 
you know, they get they give me full access, like I said. So I, I love to I love to take advantage of it. I probably don't take advantage of it enough, being that I have young kids at the house now. But um, I will do more of it. I got to go to Texas last year uh, with Coach Alexander in the off season, uh, and, and you're right about Todd Orlando. He he's done a great job down there, and it's really cool to watch them at practice and watch what their defense does. Uh, as little as I know about defense, it's cool just to see the demeanor that they have coming off the sideline and sprinting off the side and and the way that he can get those kids to play for him with that kind of energy even in practice is is pretty cool to go see yeah I mean that's the number one thing as as far as defensive football is getting guys to play with like their damn hairs on fire and he does a phenomenal job of it Um, you know I'm a guy that likes to be real simple but seem complex that guy is a complex guy that likes to seem complex and uh, talking just to some of the guys that play under him, um, you know, it takes a while to learn what he's asking you to do, the way they line up in front and the guys they blitz and the guys they drop. Um, it's it's pretty phenomenal. I mean, he's dropping nose guards at times, which seems unconventional. Um, but, you know, when he was at the University of Houston, he's, he had Ed Oliver, who's a phenomenal college football player. And when you have guys like that, you can be creative. So, um you know, getting into some of the other stuff, just talking schemes, he's been blessed to have good players, and I'm sure he's the first that will tell you that. Um, but he's maximizing those guys to their full ability, and, and I love when a coach does that, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Coach, I know he, he's kind of basing out of the, the odd front, and I loved your answer to the first question I'd sent you. We kind of asked you, you know, what, what's one of the things you believe about defensive football that maybe a majority of your peers – disagree with I, I loved your answer so I wanted you to be able to talk about it right being able to play multiple defenses where a lot of guys kind of say we're four two five and that's it you know or, or we're the odd stack yeah. you you call yourself three four multiple and you're playing a bunch of different fronts you know kind of go into that philosophy because I couldn't agree more with you on it yeah I mean when I first started coaching and I don't really think about it we'll go, we'll go back when I first started playing college ball or really high school ball you know let's let's go back to high school we started out in a 5-2 and, and we were in a 5-2 you know that alignment I would say over 90% of the time if not 100% I can't remember that far back because I played linebacker uh, but you know and then we went to TU and we were running a, kind of an unconventional defense at the time we were running a 3-3-5 and I can remember kind of being in different fronts depending on the formation um, but I was more focused on what I was doing. And, and for the most part, I was playing the same position and lining up in the same techniques uh, my freshman year, almost every play, which was, you know, basically a, a head up linebacker right behind the nose guard. And it was quick flow type stuff. Um, then I went to Bartlesville and we based out of a four, two front and we were in a four, two front the majority of the time. And that was the first defense I ever started running as a, as a defensive coordinator. Um, then we, I got the opportunity to go over to Jinx in 2012, and they were running similar to what Bill Young had run at uh, OSU. Um, Keith Riggs is the defensive coordinator there. And I, I learned a little bit more about, you know, matching what the offense is coming out in as far as your alignment. So I took that, you know, most of the de- Jinx defense that I learned in 2012 are the same principles that I build off of today. Um, obviously, I got wrinkles from the three-three-five and different four-two defenses that I see. Just what I see fit for the offenses we're playing. Um, but like you said, I'm a three-four multiple defense. Um, I'm going to teach my guys how to line up in a three-four to every formation. 
then I'm going to teach them how to line up in a four-two and every against every formation. But the the fact of the matter is, you do not want to line up in a three-four or a four-two against every formation. And I, I think in my answer, I was talking about, um, you know, we see empty or you know ten personnel shoot stuff to wing T, um, flex bone, uh, too tight. Those are all different things. And with motions, I mean, you're going to get different anchor points. And you do not want to line up in a traditional look, you know, when you're getting those looks. So there are special formations that I like to line up in. And I, I find I find that it's easiest to teach from the 3-4 because it's, it's, it's easier to split the defense down the middle when you have a head-up guy that's anchoring your defense being my nose guard. Um, and then teach them, you know, moving to the left or the right to create your even man front. And then after that, I mean, the, it's it's limitless. You can be in a five-man front, a six-man front, seven-man front, eight-man front. Um, hell, you can be in a nine-man front if you want to be in a nine-man front. And we've actually done that in the past when we we played, I think it was Westmore we were playing at Jinx. They lined up with two tight ends, except they weren't tight ends. They were other tackles. And we wanted to have plenty of anchor points to make sure that we didn't have an uncovered gap. So, I always feel um, as, if you have the one back inside vertical flow stuff covered up as far as gap control, there's a guy for every gap in that situation, you're in good shape with your alignment. Um, and I just feel like too many people are stuck on being a certain type of defense that they just say, well, we'll line up in a four-man front. And they line up in a four-man front, and they got a tight end and a wing to their side, and they have nobody in those two gaps you are giving up that leverage at the point of attack without them even being effective. I mean, they can, they can block down on you all day. And I always tell people, you know, take away the heart of the defense first. I don't want people running through the heart of my defense, but you better have somebody quick on the set that edge. And I see too many times. I mean, I'm watching film today when we're at the OCA all-star selection committee and guys are lining up with two guys out, outside of them. And they don't have any type of support from the secondary, and it's just not smart. So I feel like you you better cover up your gaps. Um, and I I feel like everyone should be a hybrid. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, I like to think of myself as a hybrid. Yeah, I I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, you think about it. I think about things from an offensive standpoint. One, it's real easy if I know where you're at. Right. If I know how you're going to line up every single play, it's real easy for me as a play caller. I think it's going to probably be pretty easy for you as an offensive lineman. Um, if I don't know what front yeah. you're going to come out in every single time, you better have guys that are very, very well coached. All right. On, yeah. on the offensive side to, to know what's going on. I mean, and it's not like the offense comes out and they say, well, we're going to line up in two or three formations and we're going to whip you. I mean, most of these guys yeah. are going to be in many, many, many different formations. I don't really understand. And again, I'm not a defensive guy, but I don't understand how, you know, a lot of D coordinators can't flip back and forth between those because, I mean, to me, you, you need to be multiple, especially if you're going to beat good people. Well, I think, I mean, the guys that can't flip and be different things, those are the guys that either, you know, have no idea what they're doing and they're just playing by the seat of their pants or no one's ever taught them. And, and I think that that's awesome with what you guys are doing as you're putting stuff out there that helps coaches be better coaches and like I said when I started coaching I didn't know that you were supposed to be able to do that but I mean I I knew that I knew by the way you drew something up that it didn't look right but I didn't really know how to teach it I didn't know how to teach it in a simple fashion where guys that are putting their hand on the ground 
are really doing the same thing, but yet you can adjust one guy and create a different front, or you can adjust two or three guys and you can make it, you know, four or five more guys with their hand on the ground. And uh, now I just found a simple way to manipulate each and every single guy on, on my defense. Um, and really, when you think about an offensive play, usually an offense is going to, you know, every play is drawn up for success. But I'm, I'm, I'm banking on one of my guys to whip one of your guys' ass at the point of attack and make a play. But if I can't do that, then I'm going to have to start manipulating whatever gap scheme you're trying to run or where your point of attack where you think you can beat us, where you think you have that mismatch, I better be able to tweak that one spot in three or four or five different ways. And I think I've come up with a pretty good plan on that. I love that you talk about that, Coach. That's exactly what um, I think me and Walls, uh, we tried to do a couple of years ago and, and what um, me and Coach Wilkinson now uh, try to do as well. But us for up, up front anyways is, is look a little bit more complex than we actually are. Then you throw one tag and it changes one guy and, Maybe that looks completely different to a yeah. defense, but all you're doing is changing one guy's rules. And, and you talked about doing that with the defense, uh, but keeping it simple for your guys, but, you know, not making it look simple to a, an opposing team. Yeah, I think uh, movement's crucial, especially if it, if you just don't have the guys that can hold up and demand a double team. Uh, you're going to have to be able to manipulate them, and you better not manipulate all of them at the same time. Uh, granted, slants are good. Um, but if you're wrong on the slant and they're running something the other way, now you're screwed because now they're gaining two gaps on you just by your movement. So uh, I hardly ever slant completely with the whole line, but there are certain instances if I got, you know, tendencies on the team that I know that what play's coming. Like I hear a lot of people say, well, we don't know what play's coming, so we're just going to line up this way. Well, in my opinion, if you don't know what play's coming, the other offense is not very good because every good offense has tendencies or your ass ain't working hard enough. And, you know, you're not figuring those tendencies out. Um, so everything I do on Friday night is predicted off of data. And I'm a huge guy that's into breaking down film. Um, and I will tell you that guys that work on my staff are like, dude, you're crazy. Like you're breaking down 40 different columns. Well, every single column could be manipulated in a different way in order for me to get what I need to get to find out what they do on third and four inside the red zone or third and one on the goal line. Um, so I'm, I'm huge on data and, and that predicts how I'm going to line up. And it also predicts what kind of defense I'm going to run towards them. So um, I don't think enough people understand how to break the game down and spend time doing it. Um, it's easy to watch a game and say, well, this is, this is what they like to do. Well, show me the data that says this is what they like to do. Because until you can do that, if you can't do that, then I don't believe you. Yeah, you're, you're one of the first guys. I remember you'd be sitting in there, and usually it'd be like – it'd probably be like Wednesday and sometimes even a Thursday, and you're just looking for a couple of, of tips when we were at Jinx. So you'd be looking at, you know, backfield alignment. You know, if the guy's in front of the quarterback, they're throwing it God knows how many times, you know, 99 times out yeah. of 100. You know, wherever the guy is, is it in relation? Where's the fullback at? A lot of times they would tip things. And I think a lot of guys miss a lot on – they just look at a formation. Oh, that's trips open. Well, who, who is number three or who is number two? You know, if they're putting their yeah. dude in those yeah. spots, they're going to have huge tendencies as to what routes they run, where's the football going. I, th I think you're exactly right. There's a lot of those little things that may seem tiny to the uneducated eye, 
that become massive tendencies when you start to really look at it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I learn more and more each year. Um, obviously, you know, like you're getting trips into the boundary with some guys, you're going to get certain things and they put their stud out to the, you know, one receiver side. If they put trips in the boundary and their stud guys inside on the trip side, then you're probably going to get some type of screen action game over there or some type of rub route. Um, I can remember in 2012, um, now, this is this is a pretty good story because sometimes it doesn't matter what the heck you know. Yeah. Uh, we're we're playing DeSoto at DeSoto, and we have a hundred percent tendency on when they're going to run or pass the ball. I don't know about you, but I sure as hell like that kind of tendency when I know it's a hundred percent run, a hundred percent pass. And it's funny because I was listening to your guys' podcast with uh with Clint and his brother, and they're like, "Yeah, pass rush, man, pass rush sucks, but it's good for offensive line," which I totally agree with. I think anytime you can put guys in one-on-one situations, that's you're going to find out a lot about them. Yep. And that's the hardest situation to be in. And when it comes down to it, it's always one-on-one. So my point to the story on DeSoto is that we knew when it was going to be run or pass based off the way one guy stood every time. And it was a very important guy. It was the quarterback. He, he showed us every time. Uh, <laughs> well, we knew when they were going to run and pass the ball, and it still didn't matter. They still whipped us. Had guys going to Ohio State and all that. But – uh it was fun being able to yell it out and their quarterbacks looking at us like, how do they know that I'm throwing the ball right now? And it helped. I mean, it helped, it helps the D line kind of like uh, Clinton, those guys are talking about. If a guy knows it's passed, well, then he's going to have a hell of a pass rush. Um, but so I'm trying to, I'm trying to put things into my guy's brain that when they see a guy, even if it's a lineman in front of them, I find out that, you know, you guys are line guys. You like to talk about the offensive line a lot. Well, you, most people need to make sure that their guy is not getting in, in a different stance based off of different plays. And you would be shocked to see how many guys at the high school level should give you – give you get, not only give you run or pass, but they give you the play based off of how they stand in their stance. And uh, any time you can give a guy, a defensive lineman, an indicator on when it's going to be passed, those guys are going to be more successful. That's just the way it is. And then if you know it's passed, you know, your linebackers, if I, if I got a pass responsibility read, now I can I can cheat to that. Um, so now I can play it five and a half yards and, and cheat to my pass responsibility, and the odds of me making an interception or a play in my area is going to be higher. Same thing with the DBs. Now I no longer have to read run support if I know it's going to be a pass. Um, but I like to tell my guys, just because you know it is that, because I'm telling you off these tendencies, don't bank on it. Go ahead and take the proper footwork, but it should make you play faster. I totally agree. I remember, I remember you guys making some of those calls, and, and it made a huge difference, just something that small. With all those tendencies, Coach, how, how much do you tell your players about these tendencies, and how much do you just keep in your mind and you just decide, hey, uh, on game night, I'm going to go ahead and make the right call and put them in the right situation, uh, you know, because you've only got a week uh, to prepare for each yeah. team. Yeah, there's not – I mean, there's not a ton of time to spend with them. Uh, some guys will devote more time to it. And those are usually the guys that I'm talking to about tendencies like that. Now, if it's a if it's 100% run or pass type tendency, then I'll probably share that with the whole defense, um, usually early on in the week. Um, if, it's, if it's kind of a hard thing to see, then I'm only telling the guys that, you know, are my guys that make the, make the most plays uh, – you know, fortunate enough this year to have a guy that played safety that led the state in interceptions. He was one of those guys I could talk to about stuff like that. And he was always looking for an edge, and um, he knew how to take advantage of it. So he could handle 
looking for those tips and figuring out, you know, okay, do I really need to gamble on this or not? And weighing that because I mean, you might, you might think you have a hundred percent tendency and if, he, if he's wholesale banking on it and he's wrong, that could be a touchdown. Um, you know, signal stealing and stuff like that goes on all the time in college football. Um, and I've seen, I've seen it work really well in college football <laughs> and I've seen it backfire on you and it's not pretty. A lot of people get fired on the headset whenever that happens. So, uh, you better be right, and you better make sure that those guys are still reading, even if you're telling them a tendency. Um, that's funny because, I've, like you said, I've I've seen both ends of that spectrum, and it's it just brings back all those uh, conversations on the headset that I can't repeat on this show. <laughs> no, no, they're pretty good though. You stupid bleepity bleep bleep bleep. <laughs> you're fired. Um, you're an idiot. <laughs> And then you come back and you pick one up later on and then they pick it off to the house and then all of a sudden you have a job again. Um, yeah, here's, you, here's, here's, a story, here's a story not using any names. That happened. And the, and the guy's like, you're fired. You're done. And then like two series later, he's like, what do you got? What do you got? What do you got? <laughs> he wanted to know what the signals were still. Dang right, man. They start leaning on that stuff. You, uh, yeah. you'd, said, you'd said too in some of the things, and I know you've you've been like this since I've known you, but – you, you want to tailor your defense to your, your guys. And then you'd said something about hybrids. You know, what are, what are some spots or maybe what are some things that you kind of do with, with some of those hybrids? You know, what, what positions do you put them in uh, as far as, you know, I know you're trying to match their strengths and things like that, but I mean, you know, are you put them in certain blitz, blitz packages? Are you making them coverage? You know, what, what are some things you can maybe share with, you know, how, how you'd kind of use those hybrid dudes? Yeah. I mean, I'm, what I try to do, man, is I try to put our our best eleven football players as far as you know what I want out of a defense. Guys that can tackle, guys that play with a motor, guys that can run, um, guys that are flexible, um, guys that can can do a little bit of everything. And if I if I'm fortunate enough to have those guys, and I'm gonna try to make sure all of them are on the field regardless of what position they play. Um, you know, and then there's other instances where I got a guy that. You know, he fits the mold of a DB. Like I had a kid named uh, Joe Smith at Hall and Hall. He's running back, strong kid, you know, 3% body fat. I mean, he's a freaky looking dude. So first things, we, you know, he, he's I played linebacker. So we play him at linebacker. Well, he can't play linebacker. I, I worked with him. I tried it. He just, he can't see it. But you either can see it inside a little bit, and then you can be trained up on it and see it even better. Uh, some guys just can't play in there. So I moved him out to corner because he's one of the best athletes. And linebacker tried him at corner, tried him at safety, and just wasn't working out. And he's too good of a football player to just keep off the field. And I'm like, you know, the guy's got a great first step. Um, and he's only 195, 200 pounds. And I remember sitting in a meeting, and I was just like, you know what, I'm going to stick him at nose guard. And, the, and all my staff looked at me like I'm crazy, and they're like, he, you can't put him at nose guard. You can't put him at nose guard. I go, what, what's he not doing? They go, well, he's not. He's not really pulling the trigger at linebacker. He's not doing this, not doing that. I said, well, he doesn't. He only, he only has one option. You stick him right, right in the middle of the defense on the defensive line, because you better get after it or you're going to get whipped. And so we stick him there, and the guy was super active. Um, he was strong enough to hold up in there. He made a ton of plays, and I'll never forget. My linebacker coach comes up to me and goes, man, you might be the smartest person I've ever met for sticking him there. I'd never stick him there. And, you know, 
I just tried. I, I was just trying something, and I, I had I had tried the guy at every position, and he couldn't do it. And I stuck him at nose guard, and I told him, I said, if you want to play on my defense, this is your last chance. You're either going to pull the trigger, and you're going to start playing football, or you can just go be an offensive only guy. Because I mean, face the fact, I, I hate to say it, but some guys are offense only guys, and some guys are defense only guys. But I like yeah. football players, and I want guys to be able to play both ways. That's awesome, man. I'm telling you, it. it so many of us get caught up, you know, in in the scheme and the and the X's and O's stuff. When it's like, you know, that may look cool when Alabama does it. Or that may look cool when when Clemson and them do it. But it better match what your guys can do. I mean, if you guys yeah. can't if you guys can't execute it, it's it's not going to be it's not going to be worth it. You you can you can get away with being a system guy in college. I think you find out, you know, how good of a coach you are. Maybe when that leave a job in college and you go to a new place. Like, I think you could, you can find a, a lot about how good of a coach you are, but in high school, man, we, we get what we get and you better be able to, you better be able to match what you're doing to be effective. Now, some years you might have, you might be able to, you know, win 10 games, 12 games. Some get some years, three wins is a good win. You know, that's a good season. Um, and I think some people get caught up too much on, wins and losses and going to the playoffs and all that. I mean, we don't recruit the guys we get. We, we, we are not gifted coach you are when you have bad guys. Hey, I, I was kind of curious, Coach, because like you said, you don't get to pick your players, but it's uh, just always been kind of a question for me. If you did get to pick your players, you had one, you had one stud freak going to the NFL, Hall of Fame NFL player, um, and you yep. got to pick – what you know, whichever NFL player, you know, not necessarily the person, but what position would you, if you got to pick, put him at to start your defense? Prototypical nose guard. Nose guard. Nose guard. Nose guard. You can build anything around nose guard. Like you, you, you can you can find a bunch of athletes. I'm telling you, you can, there, there's plenty of guys out there that are six foot, 175, 180 pounds. They can run. You cannot find a six foot three or two, whatever he may be, mountain of a dude that can run and be physical. They, they just don't make a whole lot of those. Okay, God, when, God, when God puts out a nose guard, it's like a really special thing. It's like having a left tackle. Like you can do a lot of things with a big dude that can run and be physical. So you're saying if you had Jerron Payne you, from you, Alabama, you'd be okay? Oh, yeah. I'm good with that. <laughs> I'm good with that. I I prefer the big, nasty, angry guy. Like I like that. I mean, it's the same. It's the same. It's the flip side. Like I try to tell people all the time. Like I'm trying to get our offensive line, and I'm I'm not really involved with the offensive line a ton, but I I want our offensive line to be nasty, like the defensive line. And I think you were asking me about that. You might get to it um, about you know how do I know when when we're playing a good offensive line. It's guys that are nasty. It's guys that finish blocks. It's guys that are running 20 yards to take somebody's head off, and they all they do it together. So it's like there's two of them running down there, knocking the hell out of one guy, and and they're nasty about it, and they they rub all over a guy after they knock him down. And then every time their running back gets tackled, they walk over and they pick them up. They pick up their quarterback. They pick up their receivers. They don't talk. They just go about their business and whip people's ass. And that's the beauty of football, man. And I, I, it's hard to find kids that like to do that on a consistent basis, but when you do, man, it, it makes it all worthwhile. 
I was going to say, I mean, you know, we're going to start doing some more of these, these defensive talks and, you know, people will be like, ah, oh, you know, I thought you guys were offensive line. I'm like, I, I always tell D coordinators and D coordinators tell me the best defense is when our offense is beating the crap out of the other team and we're not on the yeah, field. Man. And I mean, Thank and that you. just kind of, it can kind of set the tone for both and you feed off each other. When, when I'm coaching offense, I'm always cheering for the defense. Because, I mean, yeah. I think when, when those guys are flying around and they're hitting people, it becomes contagious on the other side and you kind of start playing for each other. Would you agree? I totally agree. I mean, you know, football is the epitome of a team game. Um, you better have a good offense. You better have a good defense. And you better have good special teams. And, you know, as a defensive coordinator, I like to play my defense on the sideline. I like to be over there hanging out. Um, now, I'm not fortunate enough. I'm at a very small school right now where – most of our guys play both ways, not all of them. Um, so I might get, you know, two or three, four guys that I get to talk to in between series. That's the best defense, man, when you don't have to be out on the field. I like I like ball control. I like time of possession. And I like running the ball down people's throat and taking shots on them vertical. Um, I, I would love the opportunity to coach on offense a little bit just for that because I like to bring a defensive mentality kind of – not that – not that offensive guys don't bring the nastiness because I've damn sure seen it, especially on the offensive line. But a lot of times you don't see receivers getting after people and blocking them as hard as they can. I always felt you did a good job with that when you were working with those guys at uh, Jinx. Um, if you can get your whole team to play physical and, and to just enjoy whipping people, you're going to have a good team. And a lot of teams don't do that. They want to finesse you on offense. They want to run a bunch of plays. But there's nothing wrong like that. Sometimes – you have the you you don't the only chance of you winning is to have a hurry up up tempo offense where you're running 100 plays and your defense is playing 100 plays. Sometimes that's the only way you can win. As a defensive coordinator, I hate that because they they talk about it all the time like man, 2010, 11, you guys over at Tulsa, you guys are throwing up all these numbers, number one offense in the country. Like that was a blast. But I'm over there sitting in the defensive staff room and we got to defend 100 snaps. We're giving up more yardage than we've ever given up. Okay, we're on the field more than we've ever had to be on the field. Usually if you go, you know, 50%, you're getting off the field, you got a good defense. Well, not when you're defending 20 series. Okay, you're giving yeah. up 70 points. That's not good. <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot of these, you know, I'd, I'd done an interview with some of the guys from, from Sports Source Analytics, and they said, you know, a lot of the, you know, yard, yards gained and, and even almost the, the number of points per game is, is almost obsolete just because of all the, the tempo offense. You know, some teams are playing a game and a half, a game and three quarters in one game. So they've kind of changed yeah. it now to, you know, points per play or points per possession and things like that. Are those some of the stats that maybe you're tracking with your guys instead of the old traditional yards per game or points per game? You know, I'm not like a huge proponent of stats in general. Um, you know, I, I like to give individual stats out because our guys feed off of it and they like yeah. it. Um, I started a deal this year where we, you know, it was, it was sacks and stats, sacks and stats for snacks. So every Saturday you came in, we would, you know, I'd be tallying up the stats and if you had stats, you got snacks and I'd be throwing snacks out to them. They got to have snacks while we're watching film. The kids like stats more than I like stats. I care about third down stats and I care about turnovers and I care about loafs. Okay. So I want good pursuit. Um, other than that, all I care about is a win or a loss. And if you have a high amount of wins in your win column and a low amount of L's in your loss column, chances are you had a good defense. You're playing pretty good defense. 
It's it's funny you say that. You know, we, we get a chance. We, we were lucky enough to know some of the guys that, you know, were at UCF and now they're at Nebraska. And, and Coach Shenanders was the D coordinator down there. And now he's be the D coordinator in Nebraska. And he said the same thing, you know. Frost and those guys are, are going up tempo, but he's like, hey, I'll, I'll give up some of my stats. I got the number one offense in the country. You know, if, yeah. if, if those dudes yeah. are going to score 50 a game, you know, I don't, I don't really care. We're, we're winning the game, no. you know. And, and again, he just focused on, yeah, yeah, fo- focus on, you know, I, I want to get the ball back to that explosive offense, you know, or I want to get a sack or a TFL early in the series, you know, to, to stop these dudes and give my guys good field position. So, I mean, yeah, I, I think mean, you, you get what you emphasize. No fear. Exactly. You no know, fear. Exactly. If you're obviously, not, you're, obviously, I yeah. want negative yardage plays. I want negative yardage plays. I want turnovers. Like those are all good things on defense. Um, as far as like like you were saying, snaps and stuff like that, that will dictate how many total yards you give up. Or you say you're playing somebody and they don't, they don't throw the ball. They only run the ball. Well, you're going to give up a bunch of rushing yards. But what? Then I break it down. Like okay, if they like. Like, we played Davis, and they ran the ball the whole time. Like, they had 200-something yards rushing. Well, they only averaged, like, 2.7 a carry. So, in my mind, that's pretty good defense. But yet, if you just look at the overall stats, you're like, man, you gave up 200 yards rushing. Well, they ran it 75 times or whatever it was. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Coach, you gave up 275. Yeah, they had 80 carries. <laughs> It's Coach, all relevant, about, man. Every, every stat is relevant. You talk yeah. about wanting to have that, that uh, great pursuit by your defense, and it's something we talk a little bit on the offensive line is, is fanatical effort. But I'm kind of curious, how do you get that buy-in from your kids to give you that pursuit that you're looking for in practice and in the games? Well, I mean, I pick, I've always been – I've been a big proponent of the pursuit drill, and you know, part of that is because of Todd. Uh, Graham at TU whenever we used to have to do it and he used to just run the mess out of us. Um, I try to dial it down a little bit from that, um, but I picked a thing up from uh, Texas this year. I've always done pursuit, but I picked a little extra up from them and on their pursuit drill, they, they, you know, they run their pursuit drill and then it goes right back to like a hurry up, no huddle offense and they got to do it again. They got to do it again. They go like five or six, seven snaps where they're lining up to different formations, which helps you in your formation recognition. Um, and you're just running the hell out of your guys. And all that's being filmed. So I think that you, you talk to your kids about giving great effort. Um, you demand it from them on the practice field. Um, but I find it the easiest to get the buy-in when we're all sitting in a meeting um, and, and we're watching game film. And winning or losing, playing well or what, a guy may, might make a phenomenal play. I'm looking at it. I've already looked at it, and I've looked at every single guy on every single play, and I probably watched that play, you know, 15 more times after watching every single guy on every single play. So I'm going to find when I think you are loafing, and if I think you're loafing, I'm going to point it out on that play, and I'm going to make sure that you know that you were loafing in front of all your teammates. and. uh you know, I've had guys call people out um, whenever I was playing that maybe that coach didn't necessarily build a relationship with some of those guys and he would rip them and, you know, they would turn to a negative mindset. Um, so what I've always tried to do, and I think it's the biggest part of coaching, is building relationships. And, you know, I have guys that play for me that, that love me and they tell me they love me and I tell them I love them back um, because I do, because we've been through – you know, we've been through the grind and we've, 
we've worked our butt off for each other and we're all chasing one thing and that's to be great at what we do and the winds will fall where they fall. Um, so when I call them out in a meeting, uh, you know, it burns them, it cuts them deep and uh, I, they, they've let me down. They let their teammates down and they don't want that to happen again. Um, so I think just by building the relationships and, you know, making sure your guys know that you really care about them more than just what they're doing on the football field, you will get the buy-in naturally from them not wanting to let you down. Um, and I find that, you know, a, a player will play harder because of the love he has for a coach as opposed to how much he fears his coach. And I think a lot of guys just yell at people to yell at them. Um, and I think that's stupid. And I, I would call anybody that does that an idiot to their face. Um, it is all about relationships. If you're not building relationships with your kids, you will never get their maximum potential out of them. Um, and you're never going to get the maximum potential out of your team. So X's and O's aside, if you ain't doing that, you have no chance. And it is all about motivation and inspiring and building up young people. You talk about Coach. the, the um, relationship you had with Coach Patterson, and I've heard that um, from a few different guys that have – that have been coached by him is that did you you know take anything from him when it comes to building relationships or with your players or is it just something that has come natural to you because you were a football player and you built relationships with uh, other teammates you know I think it's part of both um you know I naturally I've, I've always naturally been a passionate person on the football field and a vocal person on the football field um you know, my wife would probably tell you different. I probably don't talk enough, but um, on the football field, it's totally different. Yeah, I mean, you guys got me on here talking. I'll talk all day about football, um, and it's all about those relationships. So I would say naturally um, I know how to build them, and I think that kind of if you're, if you're really good at it, you're kind of just born that way. You know how to relate to, to people, and I think that football is an easy bridge for me, and other people have different avenues you know, some people it's through Christ, some people it's through uh, different sports, and they just they're able to connect with kids. Um, football just happens to be my avenue. And then I would say people like Coach Patterson, um, the way he influenced me, um, made makes me want to have that relationship with every kid I come across. I'll never forget sitting in a meeting, um, I think it was my sophomore year at TU, and we were struggling a little bit. Um, we, I think we ended that season four and eight. We missed a bowl game that year. The only only year we missed a bowl game. And he, he's looking at all the linebackers and he just turns the film off. And he goes, you know what? None of this stuff matters. And we're all like, what are you talking? Like, all we care about is football. We just want to play football. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, you know what? He goes, you guys have been playing pretty bad. And, you know, myself included. And I already felt bad about it. And he, he looks at all of us and he goes, do you know that that my family depends on what I do for a living. And do you know how I keep my job? And we're all kind of just looking at him. And he goes, it's based off of your play. And he goes, your play is my family's livelihood. And when he said that, like, it just kind of clicked with me. Like, I want to play for this guy because I want, his, I want him to be able to feed his kids. I want him to be able to provide for his family. And once you – like, that was the first time where I really understood, like, I love coach and I, I don't want to let coach down. It used to be like, I don't want to mess up because I don't want him screaming at me. And so that he was the first person in college that, you know, I realized, Hey, he does care more about me as a person than just as a number. And I think that, you know, and you guys know college football turns into a business at some point. 
So you better have guys that can build relationships with those kids and that those kids mean more to um, than just their number, their position, or, you know, if they're playing or not. And Coach P was always a guy that built relationships with every single guy in his position room and he really on the team. He would talk to the offensive guys the same way as he'd talk to us. Um, and he just taught me, you know, it's it's important to let everyone know that they care about you. You know, I've, I've found different ways to do that with everybody on our team. Um, I kind of have a ritual that I don't even know if anybody ever noticed it, but before every game, I make sure that I physically touch every single person that plays on our team, whether it just say, hey, man, let's go, like, let's have some fun tonight or whatever it may be. I want I want them to know that I care about them, and I try to touch them at least once a week and just make sure they know that I know they're there because there are some times when I can remember being a player that maybe wasn't the starter my freshman or sophomore year in high school, and a coach might not say anything to me for a week. And and it gets kind of lonely when you're not playing and really notices you're there. Um, so just trying to do things like that. And I think that, you know, like I said, naturally I come across as being able to build relationships with guys. But then, you know, just learning from, you know, even Wallace, those guys like that. Like kid, kids want to be around people that care about them and they do – or they go above and beyond for the coaches that they know care about them. Um, and I wish I could just see more of that in sports because you know youth sports are kind of the worst when you look at it you know you watch parents yelling at their kids and stuff your kid's not going to respond to you from yelling at them like how about you just tell them good job and you're proud of them and then maybe come back the next time and say hey let's work on whatever your dribbling skills because we I don't, I don't think you're dribbling real well so let's go out and work on it don't yell at them and tell them to dribble better they know they're supposed to dribble better or don't tell them to yell at them and say, hey, you should make that shot. I guarantee you any kid that shoots a basketball on Saturday is not trying to miss it. Um, so don't state the obvious. It's it's all about building relationships and loving up kids and, and getting them to respect you and, and love you as well. I know one of the, the things that you and I were able to do at, at Jenks Bunk, Bunt, and I had a ton of fun with it, you know, is you and I were in charge of the, the weekly highlight film. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, just just small things like that, you know, we we were always able to you know, not only amplify what the stars were doing, what the big time players were doing, you know, the Stephen Parkers, you know, the, the Trent Tabers, but when some of those backup glue kids came in and, and made a big play, we were able to to kind of highlight that Spot stuff, lock. you know, and, yeah, and then, you know, yeah. Coach Trimble was kind of the master of that, you know, he'd kind of go around the room and, you know, hey, you know, who who played well, who were you proud of? Remember that? I mean, I remember the one time I was, I was able yeah. to say, uh, K- Kalen McDavid, you know, Kalen McDavid had yeah. come in. He, he'd been ineligible for God knows how long his home life was brutal, but you know, Kalen had come up and he's like, you know, coach that made a, a huge impact on me. And I mean, just, just small things you can do like that. It's like you said, it carries a huge weight because those kids remember that one thing you said for a long time and they'll yeah. carry that. And yeah. a lot of times just that one thing you say might put them over the top, you know, and you, you see with the, the situation up at Washington State, it's, it's a horrible deal, but it puts it all in perspective. You know, you say one or two things that, that turn somebody around, who knows what kind of impact that has. Agreed. I mean, I don't think we know what kind of role we're in until we really step back and talk about, you know, stuff like that. I guarantee you Kalen's going to remember that the rest of his life, and I know that we'll remember it the rest of our life because we wanted to, that was a big moment for us. It was a great year. Um, I can remember sitting back there with that big boom box and just having chills and just so excited to listen to some two chains and watch us ball out on Friday. It was a blast. Um, yeah, man, that's what it's all about. You know, however you can inspire kids and, 
and get them engaged more and really love them up and, and show everybody else around them when they do something well. I don't think we do enough of that. We don't do enough praise or, uh, amongst their teammates. Um, and I think that's huge. That's what these kids want. They want notoriety. Um, that's why they're always getting on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all that and seeing how many likes they have. I and mean, that's like the most important thing to them um, is, is, you know, how many likes did I get? People like that's all based off that. So I think the more ways we can figure out, you know, how to love them up, um, that allows you to come back and coach them up and maybe be a little negative with them because you've already loved them up and they trust you and love you. Coach, you know, we, we've talked a lot about the, the positive things, uh, you know, that you've learned from coaches and some of the positive things you've done. You know, what's maybe some of the, the worst advice that you hear that's out there that, that coaches might give somebody, you know, or you hear it a lot and maybe it just kind of kind of makes you cringe a little bit? Um, uh, there's a lot of sayings that make me cringe. Um, I guess one of them, and I use the term, is grind. And, and sometimes people are like, hey, man, you just got to grind. You just got to grind. Well, better grind with a purpose. And I don't think a lot of people do that. Um, you know, grinding's fine. Um, but I know people that grind the people around them in the dirt. And it's one thing to grind yourself if, you're, if, you, if that's what you want to do. Um, but you better be watching film with a purpose. You better be looking for certain tendencies. You better be spending time with your kids with a purpose. Um, as far as, you know, as a football team, you better be spending time with your extended family, your, your family with a purpose, um, because, you know, that time can be diminishing during football season. And, you know, it's, it is important to grind certain times, but I, th I feel like people use that term way too often. And I think that, um, it's, 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 that's not the key to success. Um, working harder with no vision isn't going to get you nowhere. It's just going to make you miserable. And I don't like being miserable. Uh, I've, I've been there before. I still, you know, stumble upon those times of being miserable. Um, and it's, it's, it's not fun. So that's one of the things that drives me nuts. Um, the other, I think we kind of touched on it is just a guy saying he's a four, two guy, um, or, you know, anyone that thinks that they got it figured out. Um, you know, I gotta be like, well, you can't stop this play. Well, yeah, your play looks nice, but I got a guy that's going to kick your guy's ass and it's not going to matter what play you got drawn up. So <laughs> I just think people, you know, having arrogance and thinking they know everything. I don't know everything. I mean, I, I know, I know nothing. Sometimes I, sometimes I question, you know, what I think I know. And, uh, I push myself to, you know, dig into somebody else's playbook or watch somebody else's film. Cause there's something you can learn from everybody. So anytime you hear the word guru, that makes me want to vomit. Um, I don't think anybody's a guru. Um, and I think that if you call yourself a guru, then you might be another word. And I think it's, it's like a D bag or something like that. I don't know if I should say that, but that's the way, that's the You're way fine. I feel. <laughs> I, I honestly, all, all those things, dude, I, I seriously could not agree more on, 150 percent of those things coach for a for a young coach how do you how do you you know keep yourself away from starting to think highly of yourself eventually right because let's say you've got a, you've had a really good year and maybe you had a bunch of really good defensive players or um you know you had three or four d1 kids and you start thinking pretty highly yeah. of yourself how do you how have you kind of uh, put that back into perspective like you said so you don't get into that area that you don't want to be in? I mean, for me, I try to just, you know, stay around guys that are challenging me to get better. Um, 
And I, I think that, you know, I think my playing career really helped me more than anything. I had a lot of success early on. Uh, like like Wall said, I was a freshman All-American. I was the freshman player of the year in the WAC. Um, and then by the time I finished, I was the defensive player of the year in the Conference USA. And, you know, I was, I was riding on cloud nine and, you know, I'm training for pro day and I tear my meniscus and then, you know, I'm four weeks out. And so I go and talk to the doctor and have my meniscus sewn up. And it's usually an eight to 12 week deal when you do that. And I was like, man, I got to run on pro day. I mean, I, I had a good career, but again, I was, I was a little undersized as far as, you know, the majority of the scouts thought, even though I thought that was BS. Um, but it didn't matter what I thought. I had to go prove myself. And I went out and ran a 40 and I tore my hamstring up on the other leg just because I wasn't ready. And, my, you know, I was compensating for a torn meniscus. And I got lucky enough to be invited to the Washington Redskins rookie camp and competed in that and just wasn't 100%. And, you know, I left my last game in college thinking that I was going to go play in the NFL for a few years and see where it went and maybe, maybe even longer than that. Um, and, and, you know, God had a different plan for me. And I think he really did because, you know, I was a little full of myself and I thought that I was something special um, more so than what I was. And I was a good player. Um, but I think mentally I was too full of myself. And anytime you get that way, um, you know, I'm a firm believer in God. And I think that, you know, he's going to, he's going to check you. And if he doesn't check you, somebody else is going to check you. So um, it's it's going to come back to you. If you ride too high on your horse, you're going to get knocked down. So anytime I see somebody that I may be able to impact that way, and it comes more so with players that I see just because it's easy to get high on yourself when you're a really good player. Um, I just share stuff with them about, you know, that I've done and the people that I've seen. Um, and, you know, it can be it can it can be taken away quickly. Um, even as coaches, it can be taken away quickly. I mean, with social media, you make one bad decision, um, you, you might never coach again. So um, you better be careful. You better be humble. And I, I really feel like if you if you try to be like the best guys in the business, that's the way they are. Um, they deflect a lot of things off themselves and, and give it to other guys around them, whether it be the players or coaches. Um, so I think to just, you know, sharing your stories and sharing other people's stories, um, you're never as good as you think you are and you're never as bad as you think you are. Um, I think we get hung up on too much of that stuff as a society on, on how good we are, how bad we are. Um, we all have good days. We all have bad days. So just try to stay humble. Um, and if, if I had a young coach that was high on himself, I just sit them down and tell them the truth. I mean, that's what I'm about is just being real with people. Um, you can listen to my realness or you can't, um, you can choose not to, that's fine. But if you're not listening to it and, and you're stupid because I got my realness from somebody that was older than me. So that was my dad. He was the realist. He wanted to say what's up to Walls. Uh, dollar bill. Yeah. Dollar bill, man. He taught me a lot. So, you know, just be, just be real and be humble and, and be yourself. And that's the best way to do it. And too many people don't. Bunt, I know someday you're you're probably going to be running the show, or at least you know you're you're going to be in a position where you probably have to hire some defensive guys. So you you have some young guys that maybe apply, like like Harper's talking about. What are some things you're looking for in guys that are going to coach underneath you? A few attributes. 
Yeah, I'm looking for uh, – I'd be looking for passionate guys, man, guys that are hungry um, at most of the positions. Now, I would say that, you know, if I was the main man in charge, then I'm going to be looking at, you know, maybe a, a couple older guys that have been around the block a little bit that know a lot more than I do um, because I'm going to be the first one to tell you you never know everything. Um, so I'm trying to get some seasoned guys around me, some guys that have more knowledge than I do as, as far as running a program. Um, and also just X's and O coaches. Um, but but the heart of a coaching staff, I really believe, are guys that can motivate and inspire young people. And so I would definitely make sure that the, that the younger guys have those kind of characteristics and they have a little bit of fire in them and they have dreams of, you know, being in college or whatever. I mean, maybe their dream is just to be a coordinator in high school, which is perfectly fine. And I want guys with aspirations and dreams and then uh, after that, you know, then I'm going to look at, you know, what do you know and uh, what do you want to get to know? Because X's and O's can be taught, but passion and drive cannot. Um, you can kind of help somebody towards their passion and drive, but if they don't really have any of that, I mean, you're wasting your time. So I think just passion, drive, building a relationship with kids um, and being hungry are your most important things. And then I can teach you some X's and O's that can get us through it. And I'm going to find a spot for you if you have those other things. Awesome. I tell you what, man, being able to do these, these podcasts, I mean, you talk about being able to develop as a coach, just doing all these interviews right now and, and having your guys' answers. I mean, I, I've learned so much football just in these last two weeks. It's just been insane. It's crazy. Now these podcasts are unbelievable, man. I've listened to them all and I hope it, I hope you guys stick with it. It's, it's, uh, it's a, it's a blast to listen to them. It's a blast to just hear guys talk about ball, especially when I know some of them. I'm looking forward to what you guys are doing. And uh, anytime I can be any of any help, let me know, man, because this is fun. Well, last thing I'll, I'll say, you still doing some of the, uh, the five-star academy stuff, some of the training stuff on the side as well? Yeah, I try to do that. Um, the difficult thing for me is – I'm only I'm restricted on time because I am a coach in the state of Oklahoma. So, um, you know, I can only I can only do it for about eight weeks during the summer. And then depending on what other new rules they come out with. Um, so I, I do it as soon as school gets out. I usually do it for six to eight weeks. Um, and then if I can find a place that's outside of any school property, I can do it a couple more weeks after that. Um, I've really enjoyed it. I've worked with probably seven or eight kids last summer that was my first summer to do it um i'm kind of just trying to tweak it tweak my stuff and figure out what i really want to do as far as do i want to just have a linebacker group or a you know secondary group um obviously i feel like my skills is teaching linebackers is second to none because i played the position and i just feel like i have great insight um, but i'm a ball coach man i can coach any position um so it's been fun to hear, you know, you guys talk to Clint and those guys about their OLP stuff. And um, it, it's good to know that some of our players that get involved with that, because I know we do have a couple on my team that got involved with Clint, um, that they're in good hands. And I just want people to know that if they, if they ever were to send a kid my way, I'm going to shoot them straight and I'm trying to develop them as a player. I do not want them to come to my school if that's not some place that they want to come. Um, I just like developing kids um, and, and just getting the best out of them. Whatever some people may think, I really don't care um, because, you know, the only, only only opinions I care about are the people that care about me. Um, so people can say what they want. Um, I do it because I love the game of football and I feel like I have something to give back. 
So I'm hoping to keep it up. Um, I thought about not doing it this year just because I don't really have a place to do it. Um, but it, I will be doing it this summer at some point. So uh, if anybody's interested, I'm out there. Well, we'll get we'll get the word out for that too. I think there's definitely a niche out there, especially for you know the, the linebacker position. You don't see many, you know, guys out there that are working with many linebackers outside of you know combine training and and speed and yeah. agility stuff like that. So I mean, I think th- those kids being able to come a guy like you, you know, learning reads, learning keys, and then I think you know a lot of it could be coverage stuff. You know, maybe they play yeah. for for a school that that just pounds the rock and all they're doing is banging their head in a gap. So it'll help them with some of those skills as well. Yeah, there's a ton of knowledge at every position, man. And you learn more as you go. I'm still learning things. And I'll just never forget that, you know, whenever I left high school and I couldn't just rely on athletic ability and that kind of stuff, and I actually had to understand what I was looking at and read what I was looking at. It's a science to it, man. And most people don't know how to do it. Most people don't even know how to line up and get in a good stance. So just doing the fundamentals, which I take for granted now. I just, you know, a lot of coaches just want to get in there and they want to, they want to, you know, run team and they want to go seven on seven. Like, teach kids fundamentals. Teach them how to get in the stance. Teach them their proper footwork. Teach them their reads. And if you don't know how to do that, then you better look it up and you better figure it out because there's plenty of resources out there for you to figure it out. If not, send them to somebody that knows how. Or give them, you know, give them some, like, tell them, go see somebody. Please go see somebody because we just don't have time for it. And sometimes it's just a time factor. Um, but, you know, even in my practices, man, you better be, you better line up and get in a good stance. And you better have good footwork. And I know that when people turn the film on of defenses that I'm in control of, we are going to line up and we're going to have good footwork. And I just think that that's something that is a lost art in high school. That's one of the best things. Um in today's age to me and it's what I tell my kids in my classroom but I love that you just said it about coaches as well if you don't know if you don't know something you don't have the information it's all your fault there's no reason not to get on somewhere and learn that information it's not you know 100 years ago where you had to drop you know uh, take a horse eight hours to go to a library you can literally pull up whatever you could ever want on your phone within minutes and learn as much as you want to learn so there's really no excuse not to have some of that knowledge or to be searching for that knowledge because it, it's right there at, at your fingertips. Agreed. And I think that sometimes I feel bad like training kids because I'm like, man, this stuff seems easy to me. But and most people just don't spend the time to, to focus on those things. Or And to me, it doesn't take much time to sit there and Google what the hell you're looking for because it is out there. All you have to do is that. But, I mean, some people need somebody to hold them accountable. And, you know, I've finally said, you know what, I'm, I want to do that because I know that some people just can't do that or don't want to do that or don't know how to do that. And I think that, you know, what Clint and those guys are doing is phenomenal. Like, I think that every offensive lineman that can go see them should go see them because they're going to get something. It might not be everything, but they're going to get something. And by do- getting something, now you're a better player. Well, if I'm their if I'm their coach, and you know, I hear I hear coaches talk about it all the time. Well, they're going to see some trainer. That's not a good deal. Why not? I mean, the the kid wants to get better. Let him, especially when it's somebody like Clint and his brother. I mean, why not? Now, if a guy has no type of pedigree of being a football player and he's just wearing them out, that's different. But if you're sitting there spending fundamental time on 
footwork, stance, alignment, keys, reads. You're talking football stuff. That's different. I think that more coaches need to be open. Yeah, I love, you know, Coach Moles had talked about, it. you know, all, all the colleges do the, the same thing. You know, college coaches have very little contact with their guys in the offseason. They turn them over to strength coaches, and they trust those guys to, to train them and do that because that's what they're trained to do. I mean, I think high school coaches need to, to open their mind a little bit to it because, honestly, it's going to make you a better coach and it's going to make your program better at the end of the day. Agreed. Anytime you have restrictions put upon you with the time you can spend with your kids, I think you, you better hope that your kids are, are searching out, you know, other places to spend their time by, while working on their craft. And if you have kids like that, chances are you're going to have a better team. So I, w- I would highly encourage anybody to get involved with a little bit of extra stuff. No doubt. Well, coach, it's been a pleasure, man. I know we've taken up a, a bunch of your time, so we'll, uh, We'll let you get back to it and enjoy your weekend, but uh, I, w- I would guess that we'll probably try to have you on again if we could, man. Sounds good, man. Anytime, let me know. That's going to do it for this episode of the RTP Podcast. I want to give another huge thank you to our sponsor, Team Attack Academy. Go check them out at their website, which you can Google or see in the show notes. Help us out by rating our podcast in the Apple Podcast app or on the Google Play app. If you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt free of shipping at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the Write a Review section of the podcast app. Review the podcast really quick for us, then leave your question or topic. This will help our podcast rating as well as allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Talk to you guys soon.